Hey everybody, welcome back to Hear Our Voices. I know this month is Domestic Violence Month, Awareness Month, I should say. And um, we are kind of dedicating all our videos we're doing this month to that particular um, cause. And as you know, I'm, I'm part of the Family Homeless Coalition, which is the um, FAC for short, that's in charge of all these podcasts. So we actually have a fellow fellow on here um before before in other episodes he met lourdes now our new person another person that we're going to talk with is des but before we get into her story and why what made her come to this um point in her life wherever we are going to get some house cleaning things out the way we please follow us on twitter facebook follow us on instagram we have a lot of things on Twitter all the time. We t- we do job description stuff. We um give out different resources like that. And yeah, to keep up with us, that'd be the best way to do it. Right now we're recording at the beginning of October. We also have a panel coming up in the, probably the last week, not probably the last week of October. We don't have exact time and date yet to give you. So right now we're going to give coming soon, but you'll hear more about it on here and also on Twitter. So guys, just listen to our podcast and we'll get back to you as soon as possible about that. And I hope you enjoy. And I hope that everything that we can give you, the resources that we can give you can really help you or a loved one that you might know that is going through this you know, particular situation. So Des, can you tell me more about yourself and tell them probably what you do right now with FAC if you would like. Okay, hi everybody, this is Des. Tell us, how did you end up being homeless? How did I end up being homeless? Um, it was through a domestic violence situation. Um, I ended up being homeless because I was living with my significant other and their family. So when the relationship got bad, um, protective services was called and it was like deemed an unsafe environment for me and my child. So we did end up having to leave that environment and that's what caused us to be homeless. Did they tell you about PATH or did you already know about PATH? Um, they did. I didn't have to go through PATH because PATH um, is usually for people experiencing homelessness for other reasons or just for any other reasons. When you're a domestic violence victim, you can call a hotline and they'll see if they'll have placements for you. Um, I ended up calling the hotline with my um, caseworker. It was the Safe Horizon hotline and they find a shelter for you and they help you get your things and you take a cab to wherever they're placing you. So a couple of episodes ago, or probably the one before this, I don't know, we took about Safe Horizon. So she's an example of what the Safe Horizon actually does and the stories that they have and things like that. So can you tell us after they put you in a cab, how did you feel and how was it when you got to the actual shelter itself? Um, Going there, I felt a little anxious because you don't know where you're going. You don't have the address. You just know that it's in Queens and you sort of know the area. Like they'll say, hey, we're gonna send you to like Astoria or Jamaica right because you're gonna be moved to another borough for your safety and it's just anxious because you don't know where you're going so you're just you're basically getting driven to this location that you're not aware of or this borough you're not familiar with it can be a little anxious you know 
And especially when you're with your child, because you want to know what environment you're bringing them to. When I got to the shelter, it was around the holiday time. So it wasn't as like, I guess, sad or depressing. It was actually like, you know, vibrant fun. They had meals for um, families entering in and they were just telling me some of the rules and regulations, but I got there at night, if that makes sense. So it wasn't a lot of like intake going on my first night there until like the morning. And I ended up meeting my roommate that night. And when I got there, it was pretty nice. Um, the It was a two bedroom apartment and it was peaceful and calm and clean and secure. So let me get into this two bedroom apartment thing. So guys, as you might, if you follow me on my actual YouTube channel or you follow me on here when I'm doing these interviews, most of the times you hear about people only having a place for themselves, just them and their family. Um, depending on what system you actually go arrive in, that's depending on what, I guess, bedroom situation you're in. For PATH, people go through PATH, which is, you know, in the Bronx, because the first time coming to this podcast, when you go to the Bronx and go into the DHS system, which I'm not going to, I always forget, it's so much acronyms, guys, I'm sorry, but it's basically the <laughs> Department of DH, I, I, I forgot, um, listen to all the videos, I'm sorry, guys, but um, you go to PATH, um, is in the Bronx, and families that you go, they actually say, they have like a NOVA program, they have different things, um, they usually go to shelters in New York and they have their own um, places. I don't know why certain places um, other than PATH have made situations, but this is her story and how it is. Um, it's actually my first time when she, usually guys when I do interviews, I don't know anybody's story, but I actually talked to her about her story beforehand because I actually work with her. So I heard about that. And I was just like so intrigued about like, you know, the people ask me all the time, would I have my own space? Would I have this? Would I have that? But depending on which um, route you take to get to shelter, it depends on how the resources you might get and um, where you will stay. So um, it's much different for depending on what you're going through. So yes. So how did you feel about meeting your roommate? Did you know you're going to have a roommate? What did they tell you before you got in there? I believe I was aware when I got there. I'm not sure because it was a while ago, but um I went through three roommates altogether, just to let you know. <laughs> Actually, I think four, maybe four roommates. Um, when I first got there, I met my roommate. She was much older than I was. She was in like her 30s. I'm young, you know, so they're looking at me like, you know, what are you doing here? And um, it was pretty good. That was like a real, it was a real experience. I'm going to say that because I'm used to like rooming with somebody. I'm like the youngest out of five kids. So it wasn't that much of a big difference for me, but also, and I feel like domestic violence shelters, they try to room me together because it is like a traumatic experience. So you have someone to talk to. And it's usually, you're only roomed with someone when you have one child. When you have multiple children, you're most likely going to get your own unit. But when you have one child and they have like a two bedroom unit, they wouldn't really just give that to you. And it's mostly when you have like younger children, they try to like room you guys together. Overall, we had different times of getting ready for work. So we never really had confrontation like that. It was make sure you just keep the unit clean because obviously they're going to do inspections, you know? Right. 
Um, so guys, all shelters supposed to do inspections. Apparently, not all of them do. We're gonna have a person coming up soon, and she's gonna tell you a little bit about her story and about how her shelter experience is. But apparently, not all of them do inspections. Usually, they come there when they know that you're not there. Just to me, that's creepy in itself. But they'll come and they'll look around to make sure it's clean, usually, and to make sure everything is okay and making sure the um the baby is sleeping, you know, in the I guess the crib if you have a baby age child. Which to me, if you if if you're a parent out there, you have a child, a lot of the time, especially depends what age your child is, they wanna sleep with you. I, my daughter is seven now, she still wanna sleep with me. So to me, I feel like that's like, you know. But I guess for the safety of a baby age child, they want to make sure you don't roll over on the baby, which, it, you know, those things kind of things happen. But when you got a kid, they like to be near mom or dad. So it's kind of interesting that they actually, like, they push for that. And they really try to, like, look to make sure, you know. Me, personally, what I did was I always had the bed made, but my daughter always, honestly, all the time she slept in my bed because she wanted to mind it. At one point, I was on, like, all the time I had, like, a twin-size bed. So, Yeah. Anyway, not the point of our story. <laughs> so um, what kind of, like, tell us about the atmosphere and what kind of services do you think, not do you think, what services did you get when you were there? Okay, so I was at that first shelter in Queens for six months. Um, going there, like, every day, the atmosphere was depressing in a sense because it was just like so many people were going through different things. A lot of people was there for a long time. This is supposed to be a temporary six-month shelter, but somebody was there for like years. You know, me first coming in there, I'm like, how are you here for years? You know, until like I started really learning about the shelter system and how hard it is to get permanent housing in New York. Um, it was sad and depressing for me because it made me like miss my significant other in a weird way because when you leave that situation, you're automatically thrown into like a single parent category. And if you're not used to that, it can be extremely overwhelming. Like, hey, I'm doing all this stuff by myself and that's not something I usually did. And at my shelter where I was staying at, there was no elevator. So you had to like carry your child up the stairs and living there became expensive because at sometimes like I didn't want to go to the grocery store because I didn't want to carry all those bags up or I would buy small things instead of buying things in bulk like juices and stuff for my child and um laundry days was depressing I didn't want to go and drug the laundry out everybody is depressing but continue. <laughs> no right but it was because um at this time my child he was only one in like a couple of months so he was heavily dependent on his stroller he couldn't right. walk well like it's not like I could tell him hold the rail and you know walk down the stairs I had to carry him in his stroller which is heavy and it's the winter time so right. you know the bundle me and all these extra accessories <laughs> on the stroller is heavy and then you got your stroller um you got the laundry bag and if they're going to daycare you know you have to wash the sheets right. every week and all this extra laundry and it became just so much of a burden and it's not like I could utilize services where like I can just send my laundry off and get it done because nobody's supposed to know where you live at nobody's supposed to know the building you can't order food you can't do anything because you can't order food you cannot order food and get it delivered. oh my gosh that is crazy you can't because it's confidential you never know who may they may know and it could be a safety hazard that makes sense so if you're going to order food you have to order it like a block away or something like that and pick it up 
well, that's that's defeating the purpose of ordering food. Yeah. And know, honest, but... If you really think about it, from what I understand, people who live in those neighborhoods where those DV shelters actually are, people know it's a DV shelter. So I don't know who they think they're protecting that much because people know what's in that area. It's not like, it's like, you know, they move every couple of months to a new building. It's usually the same building that they utilize. But anyway, I digress. But continue. Yeah, everyone in the neighborhood does know that it's a DV shelter. Like, as soon as you go into the building, and it kind of makes you vulnerable to, like, outside sources, you know, they kind of know your business. And it's how you perceive people in DV situations. Interesting, because the community knows that these places are located in a certain area. So to me, I feel like, I know they want to kind of separate them in a way, I would say. But I feel like they probably... To make it easier, probably even more safer, people can't know who is where. Honestly, mix all the shelters up and have people who are. I, I know this girl. Why well, did I met her in shelter? She wasn't had a DV case, but she wasn't in a DV shelter because I wasn't in a DV shelter. But we lived together. If you mix them like, up like that and still have caseworkers for people only with DV in the shelter, probably that'll be easier. But probably they think it's gonna be a problem because of um safety. You don't know who's really around, but. Honestly, all the shelters should be safe. It shouldn't just be just a DV shelter. It should be, you want to have everybody, whether single men, single women, families, people in DV, it should all be safe. It's like safe for everybody, no matter who lives there, right? But honestly, it's not like that. Because the shelter I was in, even though granted, I never seen it, because I was honestly only there to get up, take a shower, sleep, <laughs> and leave again. I personally didn't stay my days there that much. And I was honestly out of there every single day. I don't really, it's a very few days after like, I started getting really depressed that I even stayed there. But um, I think they should just honestly mix it together. I think it'll kind of be a little bit safer. And, but the, the risk of like danger in my shelter I personally lived in was crazy. It was always something that we had metal detectors there because of the safety problems that we had. Um, so I think, I don't know. I think like, our shelters need to be more safer have probably it might sound bad have police there and hopefully people keep they you know their self to themselves i feel like honestly the reason why people have so much problems in shelters sometimes is because of them um they interact too much with each other when people are all in problems at one time and it's like they there's so much emotions and all of this stuff when they're in one area it tends to be more violence like example the um public assistance areas you know the little the mini ghettos they tend to have more crime usually because it's so people honestly in poverty it seems like um in one area if you spread everybody out or have more people cops presence there or somebody who's going to really secure the area it tends i feel like the crime would be more down i don't really know but that's what i think i could be right i could be wrong but who knows anyway so yes that's yeah, um, while I was there, the only thing my case ma- manager helped me do was apply to NYCHA. And um, she helped me with that. And she was talking about getting a voucher. Um, at this point, I'm going to work, dropping my son off at school still. His school was in like Chelsea. I worked in Brooklyn. And I've never been to Queens like my whole life. So it was just hard traveling back to Queens. Wow. That's weird. Back and forth. <laughs> when I hear people say that, like, never been to Queens, like, how can I be at one of the boroughs other than Staten Island? It's kind of far. But I've been to Queens, but not like Queens train than bus. Gotcha. Like I was I was deep. I was in Hillside, Queens. 
like over there, like Hollis area. Yeah. Um, so I was I was pretty far, and it just takes a toll on your body. Eventually, I got a call six months in, like, hey, do you want to come to like a tier two shelter? Um, it's located in the Bronx, and at this time, my roommate got called for NYCHA. She got her apartment for NYCHA. So she's like, oh, don't take it because, you know, we're going to get called for NYCHA. And I was like, no, I, I can't stay here anymore. It's too far. There's no elevator. When they called me for the Bronx, um, the tier two, the first thing I asked, do y'all have an elevator? Like I said that with all my chest. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we have an elevator. And I was like, I'm coming. I'm sold. <laughs> I don't need nothing else. Do y'all have an elevator? I can have no running water, but I need an elevator, please. I understand. It's, it's a lot have not having an elevator in your apartment or even where you live in general when you have kids. And there's more than no. two floors. It's a lot. It is, especially if your child is still in a stroller. Yeah. Um, so they end up packing my stuff. And I was able to move into another shelter, the shelter in the Bronx, um, that shelter had more resources because you're able, they had childcare on site. So daycare if you needed it, they had their own playground, they had laundry, you know, so it was more resources. And that's why I was like, oh, I'll come. And at this time I had another roommate. It was another two bedroom situation. And um, I had a roommate, this roommate, we didn't get along. This was the worst moment I had, and it was a crazy experience. Um, at this shelter, it was more like you had curfew, but it wasn't as bad. Like you had a 2 p.m., 2 a.m. curfew on the weekends. So I ended up arriving to the new shelter. It's a tier two shelter. Again, they had more amenities, so I felt like it'll be easier for me. Um, they had childcare there on site, even though my child was fully enrolled in a daycare. If I needed it, I can utilize it. They had a playground and they had laundry. So I'm like, it's gonna be extremely more easier for me to get where I'm going from the Bronx as well. Um, arriving there, I wasn't as nervous. I feel like I was more relieved because I didn't wanna be that far in Queens anymore. When I arrived, the room was way smaller, but I was like, I wasn't expecting on being there that long. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get out soon. And at this time, I was going through a lot. Like, my son, he was getting diagnosed with autism. So I'm trying to make sure we're able to have more access to services. And you're more likely to get services in, like, the city, if that makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense. Do you know, um, you're not the first person who came on here who had a child, um, with autism right so do they know why it happened is it like they think it's genetic do they think it's because of the environment do you know why or it just it just happened um right now there is no concrete evidence on what really causes autism a small amount of cases are genetics they do a, do a um, genetic testing for it but that's like literally a small fragment of the population is genetics right now there is no known cause um, there's speculations on certain things like environmental factors, pregnancy factors, but there's no concrete evidence right now, unfortunately. So you're in a paradox knowing, well, you know, what happened to your child. Right. I can't even imagine, to be honest. Did they give you um resources at the shelter or did you get outside resources for your son? 
Um, I had I had to receive outside services. The shelter wasn't that helpful because it's so hard actually to gain services in New York. Um, also, I didn't feel comfortable letting his service providers know I was in a shelter. Got so it. I never let them come to the house. I always let them come to the school or I went to um, a place or I went to an organization, their facilities, because I thought like back in the day when I was in this, I thought people would treat me different once they knew I was in a shelter, you know, or treat my child different. And I didn't want that for him. So I was like, it was like, I was keeping a secret, living a double life, if that makes sense. I understand. All my mail went to my friend's address. So I could understand why, but also just I didn't want people outside, like everybody around me knew I was in a shelter. I didn't want other people, other than people that I know, if that makes any sense. So I could understand um, why we would do that. And especially because people, you let's be honest people do have biases against people who are in shelter so or homeless in general so I feel like you did the best thing you think could be for your son and yeah I think that's the best thing you could have done to be honest people might not believe that but I think it's true yeah our mail actually went to a p.o box so you you cannot get mail directly at the shelter you has to get sent to a p.o box oh wow you at the shelter you're gonna get in trouble because that means you told someone an address and you're like leaking confidentiality it's a lot of things you have to sign when you're going in there like not telling people the address if i'm taking a cab i can't get a cab in front of the shelter i have to get a cab down the block oh wow i didn't know that either so yeah, you're not so different compared to a regular shelter because in the regular shelter obviously we don't have these things these issues and it's because we're not in the situation that you are in so and also you can't spend overnights out like i know some shelters you can if you're in a dv shelter you cannot spend no overnight out oh wow yeah that's so that's also also, different yes that's what caused a lot of like i want to say it made me more depressed because i wasn't as let's just say I wasn't more family oriented back then because I wasn't going to certain events even though I had to be like at 2 a.m on the weekend I'm not going to be outside with my child like that and I just really couldn't go to certain events or I couldn't just spend a night at my mom's house if I wanted to you know and it did affect me a little bit like to this day my me and my family is still not that close because of those like three-year gaps if that makes sense we're, we're not close to the point if I'm going through something I really don't ask them for help even though they're there because I'm used to having to do it on my own but when I was in a shelter I couldn't call one of my family members like hey can you drop me off or can you do this because again confidentiality so now I'm trying to re-unlearn that and lean on my family that makes sense that sounds, it, it makes sense why that would happen to you because you, they make you sign all these papers. You are, you know, in the position that you are in. It's like you're still missing out on other things. It's like your family did that to you. That other person did it to you. So like you end up missing out on life because of this person, which is kind of sad. Um, Hi, we have come to the end of part one of Destiny's story. Thank you for staying at the end of this podcast. We really appreciate it, and we really are happy that you are part of our online family. If you could follow us again on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook, and we do regular updates on here. This podcast is only once a week, and yeah, so guys, just be aware of the relationships you are in, and if it affects you, your your mind, your kids' 
you know, mind and physical, please try your best to get out of it. We're going to have the resources at the bottom that can help you and your family. Just stay safe out here, guys, and try to find, try to see the red flags earlier so the worst won't happen to you. Because I know people who have, you know, almost lost their life or they'll lose their life over something that could have been prevented. Um, but just always get help. I know sometimes the police officers don't help you or this don't help you, but we do have safe havens that can help you more better and even really relocate if they need to, okay? So, um, be safe. Men, women, children. It doesn't have an age, it doesn't have a face, it doesn't have a, a color. Domestic violence can happen to anyone, any religion, anywhere. So, just be safe and see you next time. Well, listen to me next time. Bye. Thanks.